Welcome to the Heavy Metal Detectors Podcast. We'd like to thank you for tuning in to the show and hope you'll stick with us through these first few episodes and the production flaws. The Heavy Metal Detectors Podcast is brought to you in conjunction with the Heavy Metal Detectors Facebook group. If you're looking for a place to connect with other detectors in your area, search Heavy Metal Detectors and join a group in your state. Start sharing your latest finds, tips, and questions. Just search the Heavy Metal Detectors on Facebook and join the fun. You'll be glad you did. On this episode of Metal Detector, Heavy Metal Detectors podcast, we're going to be discussing tips and advice for people just starting to get into metal detecting and the beginner. We have special guest Wayne Morn uh, with Metal Detecting Stuff here with us today. Wayne, thank you for joining yes, the sir. show, and how are you this afternoon? I'm doing great. Good, good. Um so you're the owner of Metal Detecting Stuff in, in, in Texas. Tell us a little bit about your, your business. Okay. Well, it's a, I'm a partner in it. There's two of us that own the company. And uh, we started it back in, the uh, company started in 2009. And uh, we took it over from a buddy of ours in 2011. So we actually do still have a storefront, which... Most, most of the dealers either work out of their house or uh, drop ship from the suppliers, but we actually do have a storefront here in the Woodlands, Texas, just north of Houston. And uh, so we're w- what you would call a stocking dealer in that we keep products in stock. If there's something out of stock, we can still drop ship from our supplier. But, you know, we've built our business on the, the fact that uh, we use what we sell. We won't carry anything that we won't use out in the field. And, uh, we think we provide a, a nice high level of customer service by being able to answer customer questions about the products because we, you know, we use them out in the field. We're familiar with them. Right. All right. Sounds good. So what got you started in metal detecting? Well, about, about 40 years ago, when I was in my 20s, my brother went, uh, we were both living at home, and there was a manufacturer about two blocks from where we grew up. And it was a company called Relco Electronics. And they made metal detectors. And so this was in the uh, early 70s. And so he went down and he bought a metal detector. And we went out and luckily dug some silver coins in the yard and expanded from there. So I guess I've, I've detected off and on for about 40 years. And uh, probably pretty heavily since uh, about 2000 on. And I've been doing it on a, on a very regular basis. So what would you say is probably the most important thing for that, that person that's just starting to get into to metal detecting? They probably haven't bought their first machine yet. Um, they're, you know, and they're just really interested in, in getting started, but they don't know where to start. Well, I usually tell people that, that, you know, the first thing you need to do is set a budget and then uh, do a little research on where they want to hunt and the types of targets that they want to acquire. So some people prefer to to go to the beach, which has the salt water. Others like to hunt in lakes and others just like to hunt around parks and old home sites. So, you know, I tell them to determine where they're going to hunt first. Uh, because they'll need to decide if they want a waterproof unit or possibly a unit that'll work well in mineralization like the salt. And then, uh, you know, try to buy as, as much of a detector that they can afford, but not necessarily go all the way to the high end because some of the high end machines are a bit more complicated and, and some people can get frustrated with all the, the settings and, and things like that. Right. That's, that's one of the things when, when I first started out, I, you know, I started out with a, a Dr. O-Tech and, um, very quickly realized that I needed to upgrade from there. But that first machine really got me hooked and really got me into, to metal detecting. Um, you know, and it's, it's been nonstop from there. Uh, yeah. I, I usually tell people, you know, any, any machine will detect metal, but the, the uh, the cheaper ones that you might find at, at uh, one of the big box stores or uh, 
you know, some even some of the, the Chinese detectives on Amazon, they'll find metal, but they generally don't discriminate very well. So you spend a lot of time digging a lot of small nails and, and things like that. So you're, you know, the, the, the thing about buying a quality machine from a, a, a big name is that you're going to have the, the USA service on it. And they generally discriminate better and you've got a lot more resources on, for instance, YouTube to see the, the units in action. Right. And, and would you say that YouTube's a, a valuable uh, asset for the beginner to be able to watch those videos and see how machines work, see how to dig a plug, how to um, do settings on the machine, and, and just seeing the hobby in general? I, I think it's a fantastic resource. In fact, I refer a lot of my new users or people that are upgrading uh, to YouTube to actually see the machines in action. But I, I do tell them to take it with a grain of salt because you're going to have, I guess, what you would call fanboys that, you know, it's just like uh, when you're talking cars, you got people that like Fords and you got people like Chevys. So it's the same thing in metal detectors. There's people that like Mine Lab, people that like Garrett, people that like XP Data. So uh, you kind of have to look at a lot of videos and, and weigh the pros and cons you see in each. Uh, any machine can be programmed to either perform well or underperform. So, uh, you know, if, if you're looking at a video, the, the real value in the videos is actually to see the machines in action, see how to do the settings and and uh, to watch, like you said, to watch how to dig a proper plug and, and proper etiquette in the uh, in the hobby. Right. And, you know, like you said, there there's a lot of people that, that they'll push one machine over another. The most important thing is getting the machine and getting out there and, and getting started. Um, you know, what other advice or, or tips would you give to that, that person that's just now looking to, to get into to the hobby of metal detecting? Well, so the, the, the first thing I recommend is be sure you get the, the proper equipment, get a good detector. Get a pinpointer because 90% of us use pinpointers out in the field. It'll it'll help you recover targets more quickly and uh, eliminate some of the initial frustration of trying to find the, the target in the hole. Um, and then I, I tell people you can go out in your backyard with your new detector, take some take some various denominations of coins and sprinkle them on the grass and practice swinging over them to see how the detector responds. And speaking of that, taking, you know, different denominations and, and different things out and putting them in your yard, do you think that that test garden is very beneficial to the first-time user to figure out what each beep sounds like, what each different metal sounds like? Test gardens are really nice, I think, for more for looking at the extremes of what a machine can or a detector can do. Uh, I think for a, for a very beginner, uh, rather than just taking the time to build a test garden, while they can do that, it's very simple just to lay the lay the targets on the grass and practice pinpointing over it. That way, you've got the visual contact that you can you can see where it's reacting to the coil, and uh, you know, and, and you can play with the raising or lowering the coil to look at the depth indicators. And then, you know, we, we were talking about practicing digging that plug. How important is that to have that practice and, and be able to dig and, or make that perfect plug when you find your target and, and replacing it when it comes to the, the outlook and the overall of metal detecting? Well, I think it's, I think it's a very, very, very important in that, um, you know, metal detecting, you, you want to leave a good impression. So especially if you're hunting in a, uh, you know, if you're, if your town allows detecting in city parks or schools on the weekends, you know, you, you don't want to leave holes out there or have an impression that you just kind of torn up the field. So, you know, the, the, the better detectors that do a good job with the plugs can almost leave a site where you can't even tell they've been there. And uh, I think that's that's real healthy for the hobby. And uh, you know, if you go in somebody's manicured yard, you don't want to 
you don't want to have a bunch of holes sitting there that somebody can trip in, or you don't want to have a, a bunch of dead spots, uh, you know, where you dug all the grass up. So if you, if you do a proper, what we call a, a horseshoe or three-sided plug, usually you can flip it over and, and keep some of the roots intact and recover your target and then replace the plug and, and uh, go on to the next target. And would you say that, that carrying a bottle of water with you when, once you replace that plug and, and maybe put some water on it, maybe even some fertilized water, um, would, would be beneficial in helping with that grass taking back uh, hold and leaving an untraceable um, place where people don't really know that someone's metal detect? I think that's a good idea. You know, it, uh, I haven't seen a lot of people do that, but a lot of us will use a, uh, a towel and any dirt that we take out, we can lay on the towel and, and pour that back in the hole too. But the, the water is a great and excellent idea and uh, anything, anything we can do to preserve the hobby and, and uh, provide the right impression to the homeowners or the park officials is a, is a great asset. What would you say is the, the one thing that frustrates the new metal detector the most and, and maybe gets them to stop participating in the hobby of metal detecting? Well, I, I think it's two part. One is um, trying to learn their new machine. And uh, even even experienced users, when they upgrade and get a new machine, they can, they can tend to get a little frustrated. Um, I like to tell people that when you get a machine, until you put about 30 hours of detecting on it, uh, you're probably not going to understand it as well as you will after that 30 hour. And so, you know, learning the machine is, is uh, uh, a bit of a challenge initially for some people. And the, the other thing is, is not realizing that we all dig uh, a level of trash and uh, there is going to be a lot of trash targets that you're going to dig, for instance, uh, what we call can slaw, which is little pieces of aluminum that are chopped up by lawnmowers, you know, from soda cans. And, uh, you know, your detectors have a hard time with the can slaw because of the irregular shape. And so, you know, people do tend to, especially new people, tend to get a little frustrated with some of the, some of the trash they dig. But uh, if you go to YouTube and learn the proper way to set your discrimination, you eliminate some of that. Uh, I think you'll enjoy the hobby a lot better. And, and speaking of, of discrimination, uh, can you kind of explain what that is and how we as metal detectors, uh, detectors use that to help distinguish between targets? Sure. So most of the quality detectors, the name brands have a uh, some discrimination circuits and some are preset, what we call preset modes like uh, for instance, uh, some of the detectors have a park mode or a field mode for pastures or a beach mode. So some of those modes have uh, preset discrimination, which allows you to eliminate the most undesirable targets, uh, which in most cases is, is small iron like nails. And so if you, if you do set it up for a basic discrimination pattern, you're not going to dig as many nails, but you will dig your coins, your silver, your buttons, you know, the, uh, the jewelry, the, the more desirable targets. Uh, some of the better detectors have uh, what they call notch discrimination, where you can actually go in and, and notch out individual targets um, or individual sectors of targets. So if you, uh, if you don't want to dig bottle caps and you don't want to dig pull tabs, you can set a detector up to eliminate those targets, but uh, I'd give you one caveat with that. If you, if you eliminate the pull tabs, you will eliminate some of the, some of the smaller gold uh, jewelry that some of us like to find. So, uh, you know, you want to be uh, cognizant of what you're, uh, what you're discriminating out. But, uh, you know, the, the, the good detectors have preset modes that work really well. And, uh, you know, if, for instance, if you're hunting a beach and there's a, there's, if you're in the dry sand, which is where most of the, bottle caps are and pull tabs, you can discriminate out those bottle caps and not spend all day digging them if you don't want to, but you are going to possibly lose some, some, some good value targets in there too. 
And speaking of those those pull tabs, uh, some of the older nickels, like V-nickels and, and some of that silver coinage can also ring up as a, as a pull tab as well. Is that correct? That is correct. And uh, I can, you know, as a dealer, you know, I, I, I have a pretty good relationship with a lot of my customers. And I can't tell you how many times I've had a customer call me that, um, for instance, had an AT Pro and said, you know, they know that 5253 is, is right on the verge of a nickel and a pull tab. But uh, I've had several customers call and say, hey, I found a nice gold ring. And I just knew it was going to be a pull tab because of the number on the screen. So, uh, but they went ahead and dug it and, and were rewarded with a nice gold ring. And, and speaking of that, would you advise when you're first starting out that no matter what tone or what number you get on your screen to dig everything that, that you find? I, you know, I think it's real important initially when you get in an, either a new machine or a new person in the hobby that to really learn it, you need to dig as, as much of the targets as you can. I, I generally tell people to look for what I call a repeatable signal. So for instance, if you're swinging left or right and you only get a signal one way, then a lot of times you dig that and you will find it to be trash. But generally when you get a repeatable signal from left to right, it's, it's generally gonna be a pretty solid target. And uh, you know, also, um, I tell people when you when you get a new machine, you're generally going to see some better finds because most of the experienced users over time, they they know their machine so well that they they do what we call cherry picking their targets. So they'll they'll swing over a target, get an ID number, and they'll go, oh, I know what that is. I'm not that big. Uh, but when you get a new machine, you don't have that uh, experience with it, so you got to dig everything. And generally, you you start out having what we call beginner's luck because if you have to dig all of the targets, you're going to generally find some of those targets that you normally would not pick. Uh, and and speaking of the, those ID numbers, um, you know, most machines they they do have an ID number on the on the screen when you get a tone, and it gives you a a, a tone uh, signal as well. Would you say that looking at the ID number or, or listening to the different tones is more important in the beginning? I, I think it's all information that helps you process the information. And, uh, you know, I, you know, I, I like to hunt more by tone personally, but I, I use the ID numbers to help me determine, you know, whether or not I'm going to dig that particular target. But, uh, you know, the IDs are, the, the tones are very important, uh, especially when you're hunting in an area with, with, quite a bit of multiple targets, you know, an area we call a trashy area. Um, a lot of times, a lot of us will either use a smaller coil in a trashy area or, or we'll listen for um, a high, high chirp on the detector to give us an indication that there might be a non-ferrous target alongside the ferrous target. You know, when I first started out, I... I was the same way. I, I listened to the tones, uh, took those coins out in the yard and, and listened to what each coin, uh, the tone it gave me. Uh, and I, you know, I've started getting more into the ID numbers, but it was getting into that. It was, it was really more beneficial being able to hear what iron sounded like compared to silver or some of those other targets. Um, you know, and then it, it really helped with the transition to watching watching those ID numbers. Oh, definitely. I think that's, that's a really good uh, use of the IDs and the tones. And then as far as, you know, a good quality metal detector to start out with and a pinpointer, what other equipment would you advise for that new beginner to, to get before their first time out in the field? Well, the three other things that I'd recommend would be a set of headphones. Um, because that also not only helps you hear the targets better, but it, it makes you a little less, um, obtrusive to people that may be around you in a park setting. Um, so a set of headphones, a, uh, a good quality digging tool and a, uh, what we call a fines bag or a digging pouch. You want to have something that not only can you put the good targets in that you find, but you also want to take out 
any trash that you've dug to uh, to leave the uh, the site clean when you're when you're finished with it. You know, and, and that goes back with that plug and, and making sure that you you put those plugs back and taking the trash outs just as as important. Um, you know, so that when when you leave a spot, no, you know, no one's giving the the hobby of metal detecting a black eye. Do you agree? I agree very much. So there there are cities around the country that have uh, stopped allowing metal detecting in. in some of the public areas because there's been people that have gone in there and, and left holes uh, uh, or left trash laying out. And uh, it's unfortunate, you know, we, we want to be good stewards of the hobby and, uh, and promote the, the proper way and proper techniques to uh, be successful. And then would you advise new beginners to, to get on Facebook or, in their local area, search for a metal detecting club to join so maybe they can get some mentorship and, and build friendships inside the hobby? I think I think that's a very important aspect if there's a club in your area uh, to join that. And uh, generally, they'll do a, a, at least a few club hunts a year. Some clubs actually have them pretty regularly, and uh, that's a great opportunity to get out with others and, and – uh, see some of the similar machines in action and then if there are no clubs in your area there nowadays there are quite a few facebook groups for metal detecting and uh like the heavy, heavy metal detecting kentucky group that you guys have and uh you know we have a we have a lot of groups here in texas that uh are great resources for people to meet up and uh, go out together and and also ask questions and, and share their finds No, and, and that's something that we find, uh, or I think at least we find, is is something hard in the hobby is is finding those mentorships uh, and friendships to learn the the hobby of of metal detecting. Um, do you have any advice on on maybe finding or helping with the with the mentorship when it comes to metal detecting? Well, you know, you need to see what's available in your area, whether it's a club or a Facebook group. Or, for instance, in Texas, we have a uh, uh, a thing called the Texas Association of Metal Detecting Clubs, and most of the clubs in the state are members of that. So it's a great resource, and we actually have an annual, kind of like an annual convention. It's actually we call it the Treasure Show, and we all all the clubs get together and they. So uh, display cases of some of the things they've found, and uh, uh, it's a great place to meet people and uh, hook up with others that have share a common interest. And then, you know, speaking of, of showing and displaying finds, with the beginner, you know, I learned very early that when you find a coin, you don't necessarily want to want to rub it between your fingers. You want to get a spray bottle, spray some water on it, use a, a nylon brush, and, and slowly take the dirt off. Uh, what what advice would you give to the beginner on cleaning those finds out in the field when they find them to ID them, and then how to kind of take care of them when they get home? Well, so there's depending on the type of target, it's going to determine how you you want to take care of. It. But like you mentioned, you don't want to you don't want to take a silver dollar and go put silver polish on it. That's the the, uh, the worst thing you can do, unless it's just something you want to keep for display purpose. Uh, uh, you generally don't want to use anything more than soap and water on coins. Um, at some point, if you get quite an accumulation of coins, like most of us do, you can go through and check the dates and verify that there's if there's no numismatic value, then some of us will use uh, a rock tumbler and some aquarium gravel and some soap and and uh, tumble the the what we call the common coins that aren't rare uh, to make them a little easier to to spend or roll and take to the bag. Um, other targets, you know, some of your uh, buttons and uh, iron targets and things like that. You need to do a lot of research before you clean them. Uh, you know, there are some some good cleaning. Uh, products out there for buttons but uh depends on the type of the button so you want to you want to do some research before you 
take anything that might have some rarity to it and uh, um, be sure you're using the right product on it. YouTube's another good resource for that. You'll see people posting how to clean things and, you know, like your iron, uh, big iron relics that you find. Uh, some people will go through a process called electrolysis to, to remove the, the rust on them and, uh, and then uh, try to restore them. I've seen some amazing work on uh, both like uh, bayonets on Civil War, uh, Civil War swords and, you know, things like that that people have done a, a really good job of electrolysis and, and uh, getting them into a uh, protected condition so they don't continue to deteriorate when the oxygen gets to them. And then when it like, when you come to finding copper and especially old copper, it has that green uh, patina to it. How important is it to take care in cleaning that and making sure that patina stays on there and, and just taking care of the copper itself? Cause copper is such a soft metal. I think it's real important. Um, to be honest, like Indian head paintings, generally if you wash them with soap and water, you're generally going to, uh, find that they're not going to be in very desirable condition when you get done. So uh, on, on coins like that that have the green patina, I generally just brush them with a nylon brush and then uh, put them in uh, what we call a two by two Mylar uh, plastic uh, and cardboard holder to uh, keep the air from continuing to, to affect them. But uh, I've seen a lot of, uh, and personally, when I first started out, I would take them take the Indian head pennies and go and wash them really well. And then I noticed they lost a lot of the detail because uh, uh, the water didn't do it any favors. You need to do a little research on, you know, what you're planning to clean before you go about cleaning it. And that's a great point. You know, we, uh, you know, I've, I've destroyed some coins like that too, just when I was first starting out. Uh, thought maybe they were a, a newer coin, couldn't really see the date on them or what they were. So some soap and water, brush them off real e extensively to find out that it was an Indian head. And, and now that patina has gone and it's not in, in great shape. So great point there. Um, you know, and, and then displaying your, your finds, you know, we've talked a little bit about that, um, what would you say is the most important when it comes to displaying those and how to display them? Well, a lot of, a lot of people will use uh, display cases. Um, some people put them in a, like an album and, uh, you know, they'll get a, uh, like a notebook and uh, get some holders that will hold the, the coins and slide them into an album so they can, I've even uh, had a person uh, that took the album with them when he went to door knock for permission on old homes and he would kind of flip through to show the types of coins that he's found at some of the old home sites and it's helped him secure some new permissions. But, you know, your jewelry and things like that, you can put them in, in a nice, uh, what we call a Riker display case. Um, same thing with some of your, uh, your relics. You can either put them on a shelf or put them in a nice display case just so uh, you have it, and uh, a lot of times I'll take um, and I'll type up a little uh, thing identifying what it is and, and possibly where it was found. And, and with so much history in the ground, you know, that, I think that's uh, important to put that description out there uh, with it when it's displayed so people understand what it is and, and what they're looking at. Uh, America has such a rich and great history, and a, a lot of it's in the ground just waiting for us to find it. That's very true. And, and uh, you know, the, the, we mentioned the Facebook groups earlier. Those are a great resource. A lot of the times we'll dig things that we don't exactly know what they are, and both uh, using things like Google Lens and uh, Facebook groups will help you uh, hopefully to identify what something is that you found and uh, to be able to give you a little idea of the, the history of the item and the history of the location. And then you touched on it just a little bit. Uh, you know, we've talked about digging in, in public places, public parks and, and that avenue, but uh, kind of describe 
uh, the, the process or how important it is for these new beginners to get permissions on private property to be able to get in and, and detect on those uh, and even sharing those fines with the, the land or homeowner? I think it's real important. You know, I, I always tell people don't hunt anywhere that you don't have permission. because you know, you don't want to be trespassing on somebody's property. You wouldn't want somebody to come up to your house and, and just start digging in your yard without uh, permission. So permissions are, are very important to have. Um, about the sharing of fines, you know, a, a lot of times I'll show the homeowner what I found. Or I won't necessarily go out and say, you know, do you, uh, do you want half of it or anything like that? But I've, I've had a few occasions where somebody would look at it and they'd say, Hey, you know, I had a, a 1900 house that I was hunting one time and uh, a gentleman came up to see what I found. And he saw a part for a, an old car that he'd been working on restoring uh, that was in the things that I found. So, uh, you know, he asked if he could have that. And of course I, I very happily gave it up to him. And uh, uh, another time I had a very rare, uh, Civil War button that I allowed, I gave to the homeowner um, to uh, thank him for giving me access to his property. You know, and, and things like that open up a lot of doors for you. You know, if you do share something like that, a lot of times they'll tell their neighbor, hey, you know, this person found this on my property. And, you know, that, that'll get you in a lot more doors. Um, Right, and, and I think it's important to, you know, once you're done for the day to, to show the landowner what you found or the, or the homeowner if it's just a, a house with some small property. Uh, you know, it, it gets them excited, shows them that metal detecting is not a bad thing. Um, you know, I've, I've had the instance where I've went up and door knocked and asked permissions for places, and they've just they've heard horrible things and horrible stories about metal detecting. Uh, and they're just scared to to let you detect on their property. Uh, so, I, you know, that's a, a great point. Um, you know, you don't necessarily have to offer to give them everything you find, but at least offer to show them what you found and, and keep them excited about it as well. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. Another thing you can do is when you get permission is you can ask them if there's anything that they remember that they've lost on the property and, you know, occasionally somebody will say, oh, well, my, my mother lost a ring out in the backyard. one," And so that gives you an opportunity to uh, return something that has a, a good sentimental value back to the landowner. And uh, it just, it helps show uh, respect in our hobby and uh, it'll promote more opportunities to get you into additional sites. And we see a lot of people on Facebook post you know, they offer their services to, to find lost autumn items like you were talking about with the rings or sentimental stuff or keys or something that the homeowner has lost in the in the yard. Um, do you think that's an avenue for beginners to, to use to be able to gain permissions on property? Or do you think they should wait till they're a little more advanced uh, before they start trying to do some things like that? You know, I, if, if you've got a friend that's lost something and you're a beginner, it probably would, would be okay to go out and look. But to do a broad offering, I think you need to understand your detector a little better and, and uh, uh, be able to understand. Uh, because recovering a lost item is a lot different than looking for just any artifact in the ground. There's a lot of good techniques that we, we use on the... Uh, recovery side to eliminate having to dig up the yard uh, when we go out and try and recover or anything. So I, I think a, a beginner's probably not, I wouldn't recommend that they go out and promote that heavily initially, uh, but if they've got a, uh, a neighbor or something that said, hey, I lost my, my key in the yard or something, you know, feel free to go out and try and find it. And then earlier in the show, we, you, you were discussing, uh, when we were discussing metal detectors, um, you were talking about beach detecting uh, over, you know, your just your regular field or, or yard. Um, is there detectors out there that, that are good for both? There are. You know, the, the, the main thing you need to look for is uh, 
you have to determine you know how you're going to use it i mean some people like to just hunt the sand and others like to get in the water so if you're going to get in the water uh, you know i recommend that you get a waterproof machine uh, all detectors have these days have a waterproof coil so you can use them all in the water up to knee deep but i always tell customers if you're going to use a, a detector that's not waterproof please don't trip <laughs> um, but the waterproof machines allow you to get farther in and i've got you know i myself and, and a lot of our customers will go out neck deep in in the lakes and and in the ocean to, to recover targets if if you are hunting in salt water you're going to want a machine that uh, it's preferred to have a machine that has what we call multiple frequencies uh, because the multiple frequency machines do a good job of eliminating the effects of the uh, the seawater and the salt uh, the less expensive machines are what we call single frequency machines and while they'll work well in the dry sand when you get to the the wet salt sand they'll tend to chatter quite a bit and require several adjustments to be functional um, but there's a lot of uh, good quality machines that are both land and water there, there are specialized uh, strictly water machines and there's specialized gold machines uh, but most of the the mid-priced and higher priced general purpose machines will work well in both environments and then with a lot of the newer machines they have a ground balance feature how important is that ground balance and how would you describe that as the importance of that to the beginner well, it's, it's good to learn how to ground balance. You know, the, what the ground balance does is it allows the detector to adjust to any type of soil mineralization in the ground. And uh, if you don't ground balance, if you've got some what we call hot ground, like, like there is in parts of Virginia where the, the soil is, is very highly mineralized, your detector is not going to work very well. It's not going to go very deep. So uh, a proper ground balance allows you to uh, get the best results out of the machine that you're using. And, uh, you know, uh, if you're hunting regular ground on a regular basis in your area, once you ground balance it, it's probably not a need to ground balance it again. You know, it'll, it'll most soil will stay pretty similar. <coughs> Excuse me. So once you ground balance it, you probably just turn it on and go. Some of the machines these days also have a, what they call a tracking feature, which allows it to adjust to any changing mineralizations in the soil. And then we talked about, you know, getting that pinpointer to help you find uh, the object in the in the hole once you, you dig your plug. A lot of the machines have pinpointers built into them nowadays. Is that viable to substitute for the pinpointer or do you need that separate pinpointer? Well, so there's there's there are two different purposes. The 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 actual pinpoint function on the detector will allow you to uh, centralize where you're going to dig. So it'll allow you to determine better uh, the smaller area to dig for your target. But once you dug that plug out, there is a chance that you might have missed it by you know maybe a half inch. It might be in the side of the hole might be farther down in the bottom of the hole or it may be up in the plug. And so, uh, you know, when we didn't have pinpointers back in the day, we would take the dirt or the plug and wave it in front of the detector. If it didn't beat, then we'd get more dirt. And once we ran out of dirt, we'd have to dig the hole bigger. Nowadays, the, the pinpointers have a, a nice feature in, in that the, the sound actually starts beeping slowly and as as you get closer to the target in the hole or in the dirt it'll start beeping faster and then go to a solid tone when you're right on the target so it really does uh, allow you to save uh, time and to also help you not dig too big a too big a hole chasing uh, a target that's not there and then at the end of the day when you when you get home you're you're done how important it is is it to clean up your equipment and, and take care of your equipment well I, I think that's just like any anything else if you have a car or 
or a boat or anything like that, you want to maintain it properly and uh, uh, you may not have to clean it every time you use it. But what I tend to do is I'll, I'll uh, you know, most of my machines now are rechargeable. And so when I use a detector out in the field, I'll plug it in into my truck and uh, charge it up on the way back home. And uh, sometimes I'll take it out and clean it. Uh, sometimes I'll just put it in the back and uh, have it ready for the next time. Now, the, the other side of that is if you do any salt water or, or sand, you know, beach sand detecting, it's very important to take your rods apart and uh, clean them very well every time you go to the beach because uh, I've had a lot of occasions where people didn't do that and over the course of a month or two, they found out that the, the sand had kind of fused the, the shafts together. So they weren't able to adjust the length of the shafts or even take them apart. So uh, especially in the salt, salt water and, and sand environment, you're gonna wanna clean uh, the shafts. And uh, uh, if you have a coil cover on, it's good, good advice to take the coil cover off from time to time and clean the dirt out of that. Sometimes you'll, you'll get little iron particles in that coil cover and it'll affect the signal strength of your detector. And would there be any, any advice or, or tips that we might not have covered through the, through the questioning today on the show? Well, I, I think you want to be a good steward of the hobby. Um, you know, do your research, you know, there's, uh, there's some great tools on the internet on how to, uh, uh, what I like to do is hunt um, old pastures, and I like to know what was there before. So um, there's some good resources on the internet with aerial photos and uh, also with, um, you know, topographical maps that may show what it might have been on a piece of property many, many years ago. So uh, I like to try to use that to determine where the old home sites or the old uh, one-room schoolhouses and places like that were on a piece of property before I go start to, uh, to metal detect it. And I think doing that research and, and being able to find those areas and, and those places are, are very important because it, it saves you a lot of time. It saves you a lot of aching muscles just by going out and just swinging, trying to find it by using the metal detector. Um, you know, especially if you're, you're looking for coins or old relics, doing that research and knowing where those places are, are getting close to where those places were is very important. I think so too. And, uh, you know, um, another, another tip is to look for areas where people congregated over the years. And that might be old picnic spots or old swimming holes or places where people held reunions. And uh, the more, more research you do on history, uh, asking, you know, the old timers in the town or in the coffee shop, you know, uh, a little bit about the history of the area and, and places where people congregated, that's where you're going to find more targets. You know, hunting an individual yard, you will find some targets, but you'll be limited because of the, the uh, amount of activity that's been there. But when you go to a, uh, a large picnic area, you know, where people have, have picnicked there for 50 or 100 years, you know, there's going to be hundreds of people that have congregated over there over the, the course of time. That's going to give you a lot more opportunity for items that were, were dropped. Right. And one of the things I like to do if I'm on a farm uh, or a large piece of property, the if the homes aren't still on the property, a lot of times you'll get a, an indention in the ground where that home was. Uh, are, do you find that those are beneficial places to, uh, to detect at? I think so. And uh, another tool that some of the detectors have is uh, a feature called iron audio. And uh, while we don't like digging a lot of nails, a lot of times you can use uh, the iron audio to find the areas where there's a, a heavy concentration of nails. And, uh, you know, when they when they tear an old house down uh, or they re-roof an old house over the course of the years, a lot of those nails are going to end up in the ground. So when you when you get to a heavy concentration of nails in a field, that's generally where there was a, a, a building site. 
and then you know, we we spoke about the the metal detectors getting frustrated and what what's one way that you could advise the beginner to keep metal detecting fun so they don't get as frustrated and don't give up on the hobby well i think a lot of times if you hunt with a friend uh it's fun to compare finds and uh, we talked earlier about getting involved with a group or a or a club and uh you know, they, a lot of a uh, lot of clubs will put on a uh, either an annual or a biannual hunt, and that's a that's a great way to uh, enjoy the camaraderie of the hobby, and, and uh, it's also a great resource to learn your machine. Uh, some of the some of these hunts that are put on are what we call seeded hunts, where they actually plant uh, silver coins and, and tokens in the ground, and those are a great way to uh, go out and, and really understand how your machine reacts to individual targets. If you get in a, in a field that's got, you know, hundreds of targets, you're going to get to know your machine very quickly. Right. And, and again, you know, keeping it fun and, and keeping the history alive, that's what the, the hobby's all about. Um, you know, so that's that's the main thing for me is just, trying to help people have fun, bring new people to the, uh, to the hobby. Um, and, and, you know, like you said, those club events and those seated digs, uh, those are a lot of fun and, and gives people the opportunity to find some stuff they may not and keep them interested in the hobby. Very true. Well, Wayne, I, I'd like to thank you for, uh, for being on the show and, uh, how can someone contact you or, look up your store uh, online or, or how can someone get to metal detecting stuff if they want to purchase uh, any metal detecting equipment? Well, we, we as I mentioned, we do have a, a, a actual storefront. If you happen to be visiting in uh, near the Houston area, we're just north of Houston, about 30 miles in the Woodlands, Texas. Uh, in addition to that, we have a full online store at our website, which is www.metaldetectingstuff.com. And we're also, uh, uh, some of our products are on eBay and even Amazon. So you can look for our name on, uh, on those platforms too. Uh, the, the value of buying direct uh, through our site um, is that over time we can offer promotions that won't be on some of the other platforms. And uh, uh, one of the things that kind of sets us apart from uh, buying on Amazon and some other places is that, you know, we, we know the products. So I get a lot of customers that'll call me on the weekend and they'll say, Hey, you know, you sold me a Garrett AT pro and uh, I don't remember how to ground balance it. Can you step me through that? And that's just who we are. You know, we have a, a real passion for the hobby and we want everybody to be successful and uh, we're here to, to do what we can to make you successful. But you can use our, our online site. You can call me on the phone. Uh, you'll find our contact information on the bottom of our website and uh, you know that will allow you to, to reach me directly. Um, you know, and for those of you that don't like to purchase things over the internet, feel free to give me a call. Be glad to take all your information over the phone and uh, get your stuff shipped out. You know, we do ship uh, anything over a hundred dollars is is free shipping, and um, you know, generally uh, small items we ship priority mail or first class mail, and large items we like detectors we tend to ship UPS. So. It generally gets there in most parts of the country in three or four days. Um, our customers in Texas are, usually get their product the following day. And we generally, if, if you call by one or two o'clock, we, uh, we can easily get your product out the same day. Very good. And one last thing before I let you go, Wayne. Uh, over the, the time you've detected, what do you have a favorite find or... Uh, something that you cherish more uh, out of the things that you found? Well, I have I have a couple. You know, one is we had an opportunity uh, where somebody came in our store and told us that their parents had passed away and they were cleaning out an attic and 
found a map of the property with some X's on it. So they they actually had a what we would call a treasure map. And so we went out, uh, we put a team together. It was about six of us that spent two weekends. And uh, in a team effort, we dug about four or five containers of silver coins that they had buried, their parents had buried on the property. And so those are what we call caches. And those were probably the most exciting uh, uh, find as a group that we were able to, to recover. Uh, personal uh, find, one of my favorites is a, uh, a recent find that I did earlier this year. It's a uh, Confederate button. It's what we call a Texas star button. So uh, it actually has a Texas star in the front. It's from a Texas Confederate soldier. So uh, that was a, a pretty exciting find for me. That's very awesome. You know, here in, in Kentucky, we don't get uh, the chance to find a whole lot of Confederate items. So that that's definitely a, a very nice find. Wayne, we'd like to thank you for being on the show today and all the great advice and, and tips you've given to, to the beginners. Um, you know, and we just want to say, don't forget if for all your metal detecting equipment needs, contact Wayne at Metal Detecting Stuff and, and order that equipment. He'll handle, handle it well and get you taken care of. Wayne, we thank you so much for being on the show, and we appreciate you so very well. Well, thank you very much for inviting me, and uh, I hope I've given a little advice out there. And uh, If anybody has any questions, feel free to give us a call anytime. And uh, We'll be doing some promotions in the future with the, the podcast, and uh, we'll have some, uh, some giveaways in the in the future and uh we'll help promote you guys so we appreciate the opportunity and well, we appreciate the opportunity as well and again we appreciate you coming on the show um we'll be in touch very shortly to to talk about those giveaways and get that promotion out to our listeners uh, again thank you and uh this has been the heavy metal detector podcast with wayne morn from metal detecting stuff look up heavy metal detectors on Facebook, if you're looking for a group to join in your local area, they have a page for, for every state in the in the United States. Again, thank you, Wayne, and this has been Heavy Metal Detecting Podcast. <laughs>